Welcome to the East Main Media Podcast, a series of conversations featuring leaders in a variety of subjects, including business, politics, media, and the arts. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com forward slash podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. Now here's your host, Brian Brodor. Welcome back to my conversation with producer-composer Stu Goldberg. Let's pick up the discussion with Stu telling us about how he approaches new film scoring projects. I really get the sense that every film is different and obviously every score is different. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. That must be how you approach it every time the phone rings. Like, what is this going to be like? Yeah, I can't have a preconceived notion because if I did, every score would sound the same and then I wouldn't work. So, Do you ever catch I've yourself? Gotta be, I've got to be open and adaptable and I take great pains to do that. Do you ever catch yourself, you know, kind of writing a cue and going, ooh, I, I've done that? No. Good, good. Wow. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Well, uh, Me, you know, it's, it's amazing. I've been very fortunate to, you know, I realized early on that I had a gift to come up with stuff yeah. creatively. And I try not to, not to abuse that. I try to honor it. And the way I honor it is, you know, when I'm working on a project, I am like totally in that project and I don't let anything else interfere with my concentration on whatever it is that I'm doing at that moment. And that becomes supreme. I don't want to interrupt your larger answer on workflow, by the way. You know, we were talking about getting a lock edit or, you know, having to do single cues. Land the plane for me. You know, bring me further down the end of the path. Oh, okay. So in a typical sense, I'll start with the main title. <laughs> I'll start at the beginning of the movie, and I'll write the main title, and I'll write the whole movie, you know, cue by cue. I'm a complete open book with the teams of people whom I work with, so I, I always deliver every cue as a quick time for them to comment on. You know, I have a, a client area on my website where I post my work in progress, which will be a quick time video with the production sound that they've given me and my music dubbed in there at a relatively low level, hot enough so they can hear it, but not so hot that it's overbearing. And a lot of times that's political. Going back to politics, I mean, how loud you put the music in your demos is a political thing. Because <laughs> if you make it too loud, they're going to hate it because they're never going to dub it that loud. And if you make it too soft, they'll say the guy doesn't have enough confidence in what he's written. He's trying to hide something or get something past us. So, you know, you have to have confidence, but you have to be sensitive to the fact that other people don't ever like to hear the music as loud as musicians do. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> so anyway, to continue, it says, so I deliver all the stuff. They either sign off on the queue or they don't. Usually many more variations at the early part of a movie than later on. You know, I might go through 10 revisions of a main title or an early character theme or an early scene might have 10 or 12, 20 revisions. Not 20, but <laughs> maybe 10. Right. Later on, there might only be one or none, which is, of course, more satisfying. <laughs> uh, but I handle it all. In Performer, unlike in Logic and Pro Tools, I can have multiple cues in one sequence. I can have the whole movie in one sequence right? as individual cues. And then I always have the whole show cue up. By the whole show cue, I mean I've got the entire picture from 10 seconds of pre-roll prior to the start of the picture until after the end of the end credits in one sequence there. Mm -hmm. And I have the production audio as a stereo stem. I have the temp music there available, 
and I have my cues that I put on various stems. I do delivering stems in the sense that I have A, B, C, D stems. <laughs> As cues are overlapping, source music I put on a different stem. Any kind of overlapping cues, obviously, I, I have on different stems. And I use a lot of overlapping cues because something might be fading out while another one is fading in. So anyway, I, I assemble this final show sequence or chunk, I'll call it. A performer calls them chunks. So I have this final sequence chunk that I'm working on from the very first day until the end. And finally, all the approved music of the show is in this one chunk. In order, locked a picture, each on separate stems as it needs to be. The most basic setup would be an A stem and a B stem, you know, and all the odd number cues would go on the A stem and the even number cues would go on the B stem. And then when I finally deliver, I export that via OMF or AAF to Pro Tools. And I deliver in Pro Tools because that's what everyone else uses. Oh, that's interesting. Sure. Good. That's a good so detail I, I to have, point out. I have Pro Tools, believe it or not. I'm not very conversant in Pro Tools, but I know how to open it and make sure everything's working and check it and make sure the frame rate is set right and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I deliver in Pro Tools. I assemble this chunk in Performer as cues get approved. I assemble this thing. It's always frame accurate. And at the end, I take that entire chunk with all those stems and I convert it to a form that Pro Tools can open, then I open and save it in Pro Tools, <laughs> and I deliver the Pro Tools wow. session. And assuming that's all electronic these days, right? You're just delivering it electronic as uh, a download. Well, I always use at least, you know, as many live things as I can. Budgets don't permit many these days, but I always do acoustic piano. Let me rephrase my question. I'm sorry, that that's not what I'm asking, but that's a great oh. answer. I want to get back to that, actually. Um, I was saying <laughs> delivering to the filmmaker or the studio it's um, electronic. It's all, all done over FTP. Right, right. There's no one shipping hard drives anymore. No, it's not necessary. I mean, the internet is so fast now. Yeah. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt your question about the acoustic instrument, so that's an excellent segue. So please tell me about your tracking your acoustic piano. It's something you have at your studio. First, tell me what yeah. piano you have. It's a Yamaha Conservatory Mall C. Right. It's seven foot six. It's not the nine foot. It's the one just below the nine foot. And it's a disc clavier, which means it, it reads and writes MIDI, which is incredibly helpful in scoring. So I can take thematic material, I can transpose it, change tempo, you know, take sections from here and there, move them around, insert odd metered bars and whatever, and change things and not have to re-perform the whole thing. And you're expressing yourself on a very high-end instrument at the same time. Well, it's a gorgeous instrument. I've got beautiful microphones and mic pre's, and there's something, I'm sure you know as a studio owner, there's something about instruments moving air into microphones that it's different than samples, even though samples are recorded the same way. Yeah. There's something special about it being performed by a live instrument, and I always at least use the live piano. And, you know, as budget allows, I might have a string quartet or some woodwinds or something, but uh, usually budget and time doesn't allow. Usually almost everything is MIDI these days. Well, I was going to ask about timeline. Can you generalize about that? You know, how fast do these scores get done? The quickest would be about a week, and the longest is maybe two and a half to three weeks. Wow. The very longest. Wow. And that's feature-length work. That's 90 minutes of picture and for the 90 minutes of picture, I might have written four hours of music, you know, including all the variations that got rejected. <laughs> my my jaw's on the floor a little bit. I mean, I know how this world works a little bit. And 
just thinking about, wow, you know, a week to two weeks to put out that much music and have it be original and emotive. Wow. Can you confirm like, geez, this is a lot of work. Well, it is a lot of work and I don't sleep much when I'm working and my wife can tell you. <laughs> so I'm a little bit fanatic, I guess, when it comes to that, but I get on a creative binge and I just blast. I just blast away and I like to work like that. I mean, are those long days? I mean, we're talking 20 hours. We're talking, you know, 3 a.m. till 10 p.m. Wow. Kind of days. Is the dynamic at all, you know, I mean, do you have the director calling in and riding you, you know, like what's the temperature? Do they just leave you alone? The temperature is usually pretty good because like I say, I'm very forthcoming with my work in progress. So they can always check in and see what's happening. I respond very well to comments and criticism and collaboration. So there'd be no reason to have a high temperature because everybody knows what they're getting. Yeah, yeah. And if they hate it, they'll tell me and I'll fix it. Hmm. I want to try to move us along here, again, being respectful of your time. You're being very generous. I'm fascinated about synchronization. You know, now in the coming out of Berkeley and in the audio world, a lot of musicians, they never run into synchronization or time code until they get into the world of video. Now, that's more common these days, obviously. But can you tell me a little bit about how your studio is synchronized? I know you mentioned you have a slave system. Can you elaborate sure. on that? Oh, I can tell you exactly. There's two kinds of sync. There's SEMPTI sync, which is hours, minutes, seconds, and frames, which corresponds to the frames of picture that you're scoring. That's one kind of sync. And then there's house sync. That's an audio sync. And, and I use, uh, since the early 90s, I've been using digital house sync. Uh, I've got something called an Aardvark Sync 2, mm -hmm. which delivers a digital word clock. And every piece of gear in my whole studio here and I've got an expander that splits that signal. Every piece of gear has a word clock input and everything is religiously synced to this digital word clock. So all my gear is frame accurate, including the slave and everything. Well, the slave gets it synced through my main computer, but digital word clock is running the whole show. And I don't do anything with internal sync ever. It's always external digital word clock coming from this one device. And by the way, that digital word clock I really found, I discovered this in the early 90s when the DA88s came out, and I used to have three of them. And some projects I rented five more, and I had like eight DA88s, which originally were were 16-bit recorders. Sure. As soon as I got digital word clock sync, it sounded so much better, I couldn't even believe it. Everybody heard the difference. Wow. And the stuff that I recorded back then, I listen back now, I don't really hear much difference between that and what I'm doing now. Of course, I hear the difference between 16 and 24-bit. But everything that's locked to house sync sounds so much better. So I became a convert and I have never done one note without it. <laughs> you know, we use an aardvark here too. And I would agree with you. I think it's an underappreciated technical aspect. Well, that's cool. I don't even know if they're still in business. I mean, I got mine 25 years ago or something and I'm still using it. It hasn't been off in 25 years. Yeah, it, well, exactly, right? With a little green light on the front, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in any case, and, and as far as the SEMPTI time code, back in the 80s when I started, we had to have all kinds of elaborate syncing gear. It was so complicated to sync these analog tape machines and multi-track tape machines yeah. to time code. And I had, you know, very expensive uh, sync gear and all kinds of stuff, which none of that we need anymore. Right. Nowadays, there isn't even audio SEMPTI code. We never use that anymore. Because everything's locked with digital word clock, we don't need it. I look at the numbers on the screen, 
And as long as I have the frame rate set correctly, uh, which I, of course, I, the first thing I check, as long as I have the frame rate set correctly in Digital Performer, everything is frame accurate. So I never have to worry about Sempty Sync ever. As long as I set it up right, and I, sometimes I have to figure out some weird offsets. Sometimes they don't give me pre-roll, or sometimes they give me funny pre-roll that has no window burn time code. And I've got to figure out, you know, i got to do all kinds of math and trial and error and whatever, hunting and pecking, and figuring out what the offset is. Once I figure it out and save it, it I never have to worry about it again. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, I remember the day of striping 24 tracks with... Oh yeah, and yeah, it's a different world. It links. That's what I used to have links. <laughs> I, I, I had a very yeah. expensive, and you know, it, it worked great, but it was a pain in the butt. And it was expensive. Uh, yeah, it wasn't yeah, a simple I had links thing. Links and a couple slaves, and I forget what they called them, but it worked amazing. But the timeline. Well, of course, you if you're having an analog, <laughs> if you still have your analog twenty-four track. No, no, yeah, it's yeah. All, all it, you would have needed that for that. I have a Studer two tracks, the only analog piece of gear we have. And, and is it chasing time code, or, no. or do you ever stripe it? Or I haven't even turned. I don't remember when I turned it on last. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, in any case, nowadays you know you can do amazing things digitally, and you don't really need it, in my opinion. I did dearly love, like I said, Dolby SR yeah. and, and the half inch four track. Yeah. That's probably the best sounding recordings I ever did. Sure. Just from the from the sound of them, but uh, that format's no longer. Yeah. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. I have a generic, I'm going to try to pivot here a little bit. I have a generic question about business, you know, which is when you're, quote, doing business on these jobs as a film scorer, do you work with an agent? Are you personally doing the business with the studio? Uh, Do you have representatives? for, For years, I did it myself. And for the last three years, I've had a wonderful manager who now does all that for me. And is that manager also, quote, getting you the jobs too, or is it purely just yeah, handling? Generally not. I mean, I I can ask him for help if I want to pitch something, and it's it's much better if a third party pitches you than if you pitch yourself. Yeah. I find that to be way more effective. But, you know, he's got many clients. I can't expect him to be combing through every possible job that might be good to put me up for, although he does sometimes. Generally, I've got to find my own work, but he, he will pitch for me as directed, and he does a great job. And in the manager is this role, are they also handling accounting for you or is that different? No, that's different in my case. Yeah. No, that is, he handles contracts, right. negotiation right. and all that kind of stuff. But accounting, he doesn't do. Got it. It's not under the same umbrella. Right, 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 right. Not at all. Good. I want to try to land the plane here. Tell me about as a musician, you know, as a composer, and, and I really like this idea of you know, that first instinct when you sit down and you, you're looking at picture, you're looking at those opening titles. This is the intangible to the people who are not musicians, to the people who are not in the film scoring or, or entertainment business at the level you are. Can you give a glimpse into what that world is for you? I usually don't get a blank page, to be honest. Do you mean temp they always, music? They always put temp music on there. Fascinating. 
And, you know, one of my biggest jobs initially on any project is trying to discern how much they love or hate their temp music. Because usually it isn't the director who puts the temp music in. It's usually some assistant editor. Yeah. They need to put something because the director needs to sell his cut to his superiors. <laughs> yeah. And it sits there like a dead fish if it doesn't have music in it. So they put some temp music in it. And, you know, the bane of most composers is, is trying to fight the love of the temp music. And I've had to encounter that lots of times. I mean, they'll temp with really expensive scores by Hans Zimmer or John Williams or Jerry Goldsmith. They're scores that cost you know six million dollars to produce with a cast of thousands. And they give us a Wurlitzer and a hot dog and say, "Top that." It's it's not so easy. That happens a lot, but uh, usually they understand that we don't have those kind of resources on on the type of projects that I'm working on. So my first job is to find out how much they love the temp music. And then my second job is to say, well, what can I take from what they've told me about how much they like the temp music? What can I take from that? And what can I bring to it that is sincere and has integrity with where I'm at artistically? Because mm. I never want to just copy the temp music. Sometimes I'm asked to do that. And I can, of course, I know how to do that. But that's, I don't feel, is my job. My job is to come up with something original that hits all the bases for them as far as what they liked about the temp music, but is also original and, and that I can put my stamp on and say this is, this is my contribution. I would imagine there's also an expectation sometimes you have to absorb. As you mentioned, you know, here you are listening to, you know, John Williams' score that's recorded with the London Symphony Orchestra, and you probably still have to fight that expectation that you have to go into your Vienna samples and you know, live in that world a little bit. Uh, sometimes, but a, a lot of times I'll do something like completely opposite just to get them off of the temp. Yeah, good point. How, <laughs> how much do you do that, do you think? Uh, I can't generalize. Right, I mean, it depends right. on, you know, like I say, I'm very intuitive. I go with my gut. My gut has never failed me. That is really a great point. You know, so you may sit down and say, this is going to be a piano, a solo piano piece with an oboe or something. And if that's what's coming out in your head, you're going to go with I, it. I, I may, uh, you know, it, it's hard to say. Of course, you know, everyone loves to have wonderful lush orchestration. Uh, we all do. I do. But a lot of times that isn't what a scene needs. Mm. Sometimes the scene needs silence. Sometimes the scene needs yeah. one high string holding for 45 seconds. You have to really be open-minded to go where the scene is taking you. Now, you know, you just touched on something I'm so glad you mentioned uh, I would have missed is when you choose not to score. And I caught something, I was watching something the other day, and there was a whole long passage where there was no dialogue. It was just nat sound, really, of the scene and just physical action of a character moving, really just moving from one place to another. And I noted, I said, wow, I could imagine not just the composer, but the director wanting to score this, but they didn't. And that's really interesting. Can you tell me about that? I can't take 100% credit for the spotting of the music because that's a collaboration usually between composer, director, and even the producers about choosing which scenes to score, where to score, where not to score. That's always a collaboration. Those, those decisions are made in collaboration. But, you know, if left to my own devices, yeah, that it's really important where music comes in and, and even more important where it goes out and where it stays out. And usually in the better quality productions, there's less music. And conversely, in the cheap ones, there's uh, more music. 
because they're, a lot of times they, they want to use music to so-called fix things that they're not happy with in performance or in editing or in lighting or in whatever. That's always a losing proposition. But sometimes I'm asked to write more music than I probably should for a certain project because there were deficiencies that they want to cover up. But like I say, usually the better productions have less music, and as a result, the music that's there is more meaningful and can make more of a meaningful statement because you need to have contrast in order to make a statement. You need yeah. to have breathing room. You need to have places for the ear to reset. And, you know, most importantly, music in movies is not supposed to be noticed. Right. If you notice it, the composer's doing a shitty job. Right. I mean, you want to be drawn into the scene subliminally, and the music can help you with that, and you want the music to enhance the subtext of what isn't being shown and what can be said subliminally about characters that maybe you don't see on, on the narrow level that you might see on the screen, but some of the deeper feeling elements the music can help with. But you don't want to give away too much with the music. Then you're doing a rotten job. Then you're like scoring cartoons, right. which I also do, by the way. <laughs> In film music, you don't want to give away too much with the score. And you certainly don't want to be noticed. And that's the complete opposite of my earlier career as a jazz musician. Because <laughs> that's all about being noticed. Tell me but about the cartoon it, it, work. We all know the phrase Mickey Mousing, right? So, yeah. you know, tell me about your work with cartoons. Well, I work with... The best guys in the business, bar none, I mean, there was a whole revival of Warner Brothers back in the 80s and 90s, and they they redid the Tasmanian Devil. I was involved in the cartoon series, uh, 65 episodes, and this was done under a, a tremendously low budget, and we did an amazing job, and I was the orchestra, and they used to fax me and the orchestrator. <laughs> they would fax me the scores, and they were full orchestral scores, and I had to sequence the whole thing for orchestra, and then we had a small live group of five guys, drums, two woodwinds who doubled on everything. I played live piano. Half a day we had a violinist and a trumpet and a trombone, and that was it. <laughs> and the rest was all in my Mac, that, wow. on my portable rig that I would bring to the studio once a week. And it was 23-minute episodes with everything under the sun written in complete honor to Carl Stalling, who yeah. invented that style back in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. That, you know, the Warner Brothers style of music, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and all that stuff, yeah. he was the originator of that style. Anyway, there was a revival of that in the late 80s, early 90s in L.A., and I was really fortunate to be part of it. So I learned from all these guys that were scoring in that style, and I got to score some cues. And later I worked on a cartoon series called Adventures from the Book of Virtues, which is a PBS show. And I had a fantastic composer I worked under for a year, and then he left the show, and I actually got the show, and it was great. Let me clarify something. With the Tasmanian Devil, those scores you're talking about, you said the scores came in faxed, so there was a composer writing, and then you guys were... I wasn't composer on that series. Right. I was the orchestrator and the program. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. But that's quite a hustle, you know, all that amount of work. Oh, uh, man, it was 23 minutes of 160 beats per minute, <laughs> uh, you know, 16th notes all over the place. I mean, you won't believe how yeah. difficult that was. That got my chops up in a big way wow. as a sequencer. Wow. As, you know, running the sequencer and also an orchestration. We'd be like five composers writing 23 minutes of stuff, and we would record on Saturdays, 
and invariably I wouldn't get the first cue until Friday uh, two in the afternoon. Oh my and I'd god! Be up, I'd be up all night. I'd my fax machine would be like reams of paper. I'd be like I don't know how many hundreds of sheets of paper per episode. I had to sequence this whole thing, have it ready, and then the cartridge company would come at six in the morning, take my stuff, and set it up in the studio. I had to hustle, get there with no sleep, and I had to run the clicks for the five guys. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> the warning clicks and all the tempo changes. And in cartoons, there's billions of tempo changes. And it was a fantastic training. Well, talk about sequencing chops. You're right. Was this yeah. on a, like a Mac SE 30 or something? What was that rig? It was a, yeah, it was the little Mac SE. Yeah, I think it was the SE 30. With the floppy yeah. drive on the front? Yeah. Oh, that my was, God. I, I get it. I feel you. And this was pre-digital performer. This oh, was yeah. performer. That's right. Yeah, there was no embedded digital audio. Right. Uh, none. But oh it was God. all MIDI. It was super reliable, yeah. super great. And my clicks were a sample. It worked super. Wow. Never crashed, never had a problem. And wow. this is like 65 episodes, 23 minutes of music each time. Well, listen, I could literally talk to you for two more hours on music and jazz. We didn't even open that door. I want to wrap things up because we're just getting too long. I'm really enjoying the deep dive. So again, thank you. I can't thank you enough. I want to ask you just two questions. One is, what's the biggest thing that you'd like people to know about you that people don't know about you? Yeah, I don't know what people know about me. Like I say, as a composer, I shouldn't be noticed. So hopefully they don't know. Hopefully they know the projects that I work on and they like them. And that means I'll get more work. Well, how about this? Let me, I get that. I understand that sentiment. In other words, if people were knowing about you, you're not doing your job. Okay, thank you. Exactly. Let me flip the question then. What's the one project you would like people to know you've done? That's hard to do too. I mean, they're all my babies. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of all of them. I mean, I'm, I guess my last one is always my favorite, right? Oh, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Well, what is the most recent thing you've done? How about that? Most recently, I did a documentary, a fantastic documentary. It's called Triumph, the Untold Story of Perry Wallace. And Perry Wallace was a black Southerner from Nashville. He was the first black varsity athlete in the Southeastern Basketball Conference in 1966. Yeah. This is like 100 years after Lincoln declared emancipation. Mm -hmm. There was still segregation in the South, and there were blacks weren't allowed to play varsity sports in any of the universities. And this guy was an absolute pioneer. He came in with so much hostility and racism, sure. and he, he broke the color barrier. Wow! So this all interviews with people from that era. They have archival footage. They got interviews with with him. He's still alive, and talking about his memories of what happened, and they reenact some things. And it's a really great documentary. Anyway, it's a feature length documentary. I'm not sure when it's coming out. I think in the fall as a feature, as a, a theatrical feature. Nice. And you've delivered. You're done. We're done. Wow. Yeah. I'm wow. Done. Wow. But that was the big project. Lots of music. I had to do lots of different styles. And documentaries are always a challenge. Sure, sure. Yeah, we've done a little bit of that here, and, and it's an interesting animal, you know? Yeah. Wow, that sounds like a so great that's, project. That's the most recent one. And just prior to that, it was also an exciting project, the video game score to Capcom's Dead Rising 4. Oh, wow. I didn't even open the door of video game scoring. I didn't even get yeah. there. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Wow. Dead Rising so 4. I, I was one of, I think, six or seven composers who contributed to that score. There's uh, 14 hours of music or something, a ridiculous amount of music in there. Yeah. I wrote some really cool stuff. There's some samples on my website, if you look. We have some uh, ancient history here with Blizzard Entertainment and, and sort of the gaming industry way back. 
But that yeah. that was a I dipped my toe in that world a little bit, you know, producing a little bit. Okay, so here's my big final question I like to ask. So the phone rings, right? And the other person you talk to when you hang up, they have solved your biggest problem or concern. Who was that person and what did they solve? <laughs> Man, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to get a call that said I've got work for the next 40 years. I'll take it. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, pal. I mean, every every situation has its own parameters. I've been real blessed, and uh, I feel happy about life the way it is, to be honest with you. Good. I like hearing that. I like hearing that. That's cool. You're doing great stuff, and it's a real privilege to talk to you, Stu. All righty, Brian. Cheers. Take care, pal. Bye-bye. Bye. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>